T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We are here on a Football Monday awards show Monday because the Golden Globes were last night. You may have missed them. I'm sure Ross Tucker did the highlight to me. Tom Hanks honored with the Cecil B. DeMille Career Achievement Award. Tom Hanks is the GOAT. Tom Hanks is the, well, Tom Brady of actors. And that's where we start this morning, our best drama category. We want you to weigh in at RDC Home and Home. What was the best drama over the weekend? And we start with the GOAT with Tom Brady, because questions now linger as they have for the entire season, but the Patriots go into an offseason unlike they've ever had in their organization's history after the devastating loss to the Tennessee Titans. Will Tom Brady come back? He has all his options open, and let's start with you, Ross. There are three options. He could retire, he could stay with the Patriots, and he could, of course, go play somewhere else. Bob Kraft said to Peter King after the last uh, the loss over the weekend, anyone who's done what Tom Brady has earned the right to control his future after 20 years, and you know, my hope and prayer is number one, he played for the Patriots, or number two, he retires. What's it going to be, Ross? By the way, it's pretty funny, right, Dave, that I think Robert Kraft is saying that in a manner such that, like, you know, he's earned it. Yeah, After 20 years of putting himself at injury risk for my organization and for my personal wealth and fame, yeah, we're going we're gonna to let him go ahead and be able to pick his own team or where he wants to live this year. Like, like if you, I mean, we don't think of it that way, Dave, because it's sports and contracts and guys get drafted. But if you really think about it, that's hilarious, right? I, I mean, yeah, after 20 years and like 500 games or however many it is, I know it's not that many, but we're going to go ahead and let him do what he wants. He's 42 now. Maybe we'll let him live where he wants to live now. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious uh, to me. I think he ends up coming back to New England. Clearly, Robert Kraft wants him back in New England. I think Brady wants to keep playing. Those are the two things we really know, Dave. Here's what we don't know. We don't know how Bill Belichick feels about the situation. And if he feels good enough about Jared Stidham, that he thinks it's time to move on now, while Stidham's on his rookie contract and use that extra money to build around Stidham because obviously the Patriots have a number of holes they need to fill. And or does Belichick feel that way strongly enough that he'll bow up to Kraft if Kraft says, I want Brady back. And Belichick could say, it's it's him or me. I'm ready to move on. That's not what's best for the team. Yari did this with Garoppolo and that hurt us. So that's interesting. And then for Brady... What are his other options, and does he really like those options? Is it Chicago? Is it the L.A. Chargers? Is it the Indianapolis Colts, if people were saying over the weekend? Does he feel like those teams will give him more of a commitment, more money, and most importantly, maybe even, Dave, a better chance to win? I say no. I say he comes back to New England. 
I think they just have to figure out whether it's a one-year deal or a longer deal and what the dollar amount is. I think Tom Brady is the quarterback of the New England Patriots in 2020. I want to disagree with you, but I cannot. I do like the one option. I've heard of a lot. I've heard of India. I've heard of Chicago. I've heard of the Chargers. And lastly, that's the only one I really actually like is the Chargers opening up this multi-billion dollar stadium, need to sell some PSLs, put some asses in seats. Brady is certainly a guy that helps them do that. They've got the money. They can pay him and probably will pay him more than New England. And there's the targets. Right. I mean, you got two Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, two outstanding wide receivers. You've got Hunter Henry. You've got Austin Eckler. You have to like that offense an awful lot better than what New England has to offer. And there's the California sun. It seems to me that's where the family wants to be. But I have heard Tom Brady is actually looking at a home in Greenwich, Connecticut. So I don't think we should read too much into where he wants to live, but really where he wants to play. And I, too, think the best option in the end will be New England, will be a situation he knows, a head coach he knows is the best in the game, and hopefully an organization that's going to surround him with targets. Maybe that's a guy like Stefan Diggs. Oh, I think he's got a major attitude problem. Seems to me a guy that they might take a run at in this offseason because we don't trust the Patriots to draft a wide receiver. What Brady said afterwards, say it's pretty unlikely, hopefully unlikely, that he retires. Let's listen to the devastation and to the projections from Tom Brady, WEEI Radio in Boston. You just want to wake up and, and like, it, like it never happened, but unfortunately it happened. It happened. This season, it just, I, I've never seen a more disappointing, embarrassing end to a season than what you had for the New England Patriots, losing back to back games at home to Ryan Fitzpatrick in the Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill in the Titans. It was truly one of the most shocking losses in the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady era, maybe one of the most shocking losses in the history of Boston sports. This place is a ghost town. A living wake. A a living wake Monday. Uh, Yeah. It's Monday morning. M O U R N I N G. Uh, Yesterday, everywhere I went, everyone had that same sort of glassy-eyed look, like the blank stare. Yeah. Like they can't believe it. Like everyone just had that. Like yes, we are fine. Everything is good. Everything's Tom Brady. Tom Brady's pick six to his former teammate Logan Ryan will not be the final play of his goat career. Please tell me it won't be that. Sometimes, you know, Robert Kraft interferes with the the shopping for groceries, Parcellsism, but this time he really needs to. You have to bring Brady back. BBB, bring Brady back. You believe it's unlikely he is a New England Patriot going forward. Of course not. I mean, read the tea leaves. I mean, we've been over this a million times. He said they during his press conference on Saturday. He said whatever they decide to do. In my entire time following this team for 20 years with Tom Brady at quarterback, I have never heard him refer to the team as they. Patriots fans were burning their Tom Brady jerseys. Disgusting. Is wrong with you ungrateful, unappreciative slugs. Mm -hmm. The man has brought you to nine Super Bowls. You are the don't don't let the door hit you on the way out assholes that give this whole region a bad name. Good morning, everybody. What's good about it, Jeff? What's good about it? Name one thing. 
Um, that we had 20 years of awesomeness. All right. All right. Okay. Check this out. Tom Brady's going to be the coach of the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) Get Kaepernick to play in AB and defeat the Patriots next season. Yeah. All right. All right. Hot take. All right. That's all the reaction as we fire up our radio.com red zone. WEI sports radio in Boston. Agree with the sentiment that there's no way Tom Brady's final pass is the pick six to Logan Ryan. He threw one in consecutive games. Lastly, Ross, you have to factor in, I think the imminent departure of Josh McDaniels clearly going to get a job here unless he blows the interviews between Cleveland and Carolina and the giants. And I think even Dallas could enter the conversation. Although there's some reporting on that that would suggest otherwise. Right. And I think that's a big negative for Tom Brady. I mean, what's interesting is reading the quote from Robert Kraft. It was very clear that Brady wanted the ability to do what he wanted after this season. And then he puts his house on the market. It is interesting. I mean, it, it sounds like at a minimum, Brady wanted to have some options. And I don't know if that's, from a financial perspective, Dave, or where he wanted to live perspective, or maybe just from a team success perspective. Maybe he kind of saw this coming in New England, or maybe he saw Josh McDaniels leaving after this season. And maybe McDaniels is the one guy that can help that relationship between Brady and Belichick that at times seems to be a little bit rough between those two. And that's been pretty clear over the years. And maybe Brady thinks if he doesn't have that McDaniels buffer anymore, that he won't be able to handle it in New England. It's going to be fascinating. I still think he ends up, you know, back in New England on at least a one-year deal. But I don't think it's 100% at all. I don't even think it's 90%. I think it's probably like 75%. But that still leaves a little bit of wiggle room. I think it is 90% of the conversation that's going to happen on WEI and the Boston Globe and the Boston Herald. They will be following that story breathlessly. We will await Tom Brady's interview this morning on EEI and bring you uh, bring you that as it happens. Tying a bow on this, you know, the Bill Belichick disciples and former player now starting to turn the tides. Mike Vrabel's won twice against him. Matt Patricia, O'Brien got a win this year, and Brian Flores got a win against Belichick interesting aspect to follow but let's talk about another 40 year old quarterback as we continue the best drama award another nominee is the philadelphia eagles who were surprisingly led by a 40 year old quarterback yesterday that's because of course the injury to carson wentz a devastating one early in the game on his way down did not give himself up did not slide jadevian Clowney. In what some feel was a dirty hit, um, most notably Jason Peters, who called it a dirty hit, he exits the ball game, and you gotta love the effort of Josh McCown. We love the journeyman quarterback here on Home and Home. Both of us being journeymen in our respective regards. Josh McCown, uh, what year? Sixteen, seventeen, team number nine. A valiant effort. As for the hit. I did not think it deserved a flag in the moment. And even after taking a look at it later, I don't think in any way, shape, or form Jadevian Clowney laid a dirty hit. Although they disagree big time in Philly this morning, 91% of people on a WIP poll, Ross, say it was a dirty hit. What say you? You were there. 
Yeah, you know, I don't. Uh, I played very, very aggressively, Dave. Um, you know, I had to to keep my spot in the league. So you'll very rarely hear me call any hit dirty or a cheap shot. You're just not going to hear that from me very often. I mean, I, I personally thought it should have been flagged. I thought it was unnecessary roughness. I thought it was late. I think they also could have gotten him for using the cr- the crown of the helmet like he did. Um, and even if they say he was a runner and he hadn't given himself up, he's on the ground. Clowney comes in. I still thought it was unnecessary roughness. And they almost always protect the quarterback better than they do other positions, even if the guy's a quote-unquote runner on the play. I thought it should be flagged. But ultimately, Dave, does it really make that much of a difference? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, okay, 15 yards. It's not bringing Carson Wentz back. I, I think it's a lot of focus on something that doesn't have that much of an impact on the game. I mean, if he doesn't do the hit and Wentz plays the whole game, that's a little bit different. I thought it should have been flagged, but would, would it have been a difference in the game? Probably not. It would have been 15 yards. Okay. Let me ask you, do you think if Carson Wentz is healthy, the Eagles win that game? You did see the window open up for Josh McCown and what felt like a play Carson Wentz may have scored on I still think Seattle's the better team. We will get into Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf later in the program. But do you think the Eagles win that game with the healthy, healthy Carson Wentz? I do. I do. Now, look, you never know how it would play out. But they certainly would have scored more points. And the one area more than any other that he and the Eagles team were excellent in all year was the red zone. They were number one or number two in the red zone offense all year. And with Josh McCown... You settle for three field goals. Twice yeah. you go for it on fourth down and you come up short. Hard to imagine that the Eagles would not have gotten a touchdown or two out of those opportunities with Carson Wentz. So, yeah, I, I, I do think that they probably would have won the game if Wentz had been able to play the entire time. And more than anything else, Dave, I think Philadelphia Eagles fans feel cheated. And I kind of do, too. You know, like. It's just a very dissatisfying end to what was an incredible conclusion of the season in the regular season with Carson Wentz playing the best football of his career with a bunch of practice squad guys, the practice squad posse, the broad street backups, whatever you want to call them. And I think people just wanted to see it play out. You know what I mean? They just wanted to see it finish. How does it end? I don't think they had delusions of Super Bowl grandeur. But I think they wanted to they wanted to see Carson Wentz what he could do in a playoff game, what he and this group could do. And if they lost, they lost. But it just feels it's a bad taste in your mouth that they didn't even get that opportunity to see what that would have looked like. It it is a heartbreaking end to the season and uh... Just you have to feel for the fans in Philly and for specifically Carson Wentz, who's done so much to battle back all the attrition, stays healthy. And then this happens, may have to learn to give himself up a little better. Again, don't think that was a dirty hit, but certainly feel awful for him. I tried naming them the reserve dogs, 
but apparently enough people aren't familiar with reservoir dogs or didn't get it. So practice squad posse or one of the other ones may have to stick. Here's how the sports fans feel in Philadelphia this morning as we continue the radio.com red zone WIP sports radio in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, you're the worst fans in the world. You just heard Rhea's report. And I need some of these horrible fans to call in who were involved in the taunting going on between Clowney and them during the game and after the game. I saw some video. He was empowered by No, he was. The NFL today is smiling because they got Russell Wilson versus Aaron Rodgers in their marquee game next Sunday night. They wanted that a lot more than Aaron Rodgers and Carson Wentz rematch at, uh, you know, they don't, you know, you know that. This was what they wanted. If your take is that a, that a guy's injury prone because of a concussion, uh, being slammed to the to the to the turf on a concussion, you you just you're just in the wrong business. You're just on the wrong planet for what's gone on here. To to uh, to think that a guy can weather that. There was even a play where Sheldon Gibson gets a PI late in the game, right. and we're all saying to ourselves, "Wait, Do they still have a chance." Who's eighty three? But that that just tells you how yeah. nuts this yeah. thing is. I mean, it, it's been right the way there. all year. Yeah, I'll they're still what. in it. Man, I give Doug a whole hell of a lot of credit, man. Like the job that he did with this team, with guys off the street. You know, you give anybody else that drink that he had. They don't make it to the playoffs yeah. at all. I think the big discussion tomorrow, if I'm Jeffrey Lurie, I'm sitting down with Howie and saying, why are we drafting J.J. over D.K. Metcalf? That's how it sounded, the reaction on WIP Sports Radio in Philadelphia. Interesting headlines made by Jadevian Clowney, who knocked Carson Wentz out of the game, said he actually expects death threats. After what happened in Philadelphia, said he was not ever intending to hurt Carson Wentz. But the, the, the coup de grace was his comment that Philadelphia fans are, quote, the worst fans in sports. He is now going to emerge as one of the ultimate sports villains in the city of Philadelphia, which I love. Have to tell you, Ross, a good friend of mine was at the game yesterday. His 11-year-old son wearing a Russell Wilson jersey because they're from Seattle said he's never seen anything like it. Constant, negative, awful, nasty, rude, expletive comments to his 11-year-old son. Sorry, Philly. I tend to agree. Some of the worst fans in all of sports. And you. Well, so let me ask you this, Dave, first of all. Yep. Uh, how long have you been friends with this guy? About six or seven years. Like, does he not, is he not aware that that's just a really poor idea? Like, to go to a Eagles-Seahawks game and wear Seahawks gear. Like, does he not realize that that is not smart, especially on your 11-year-old son? I totally disagree with you. That is ridiculous to suggest to an 11-year-old kid that they shouldn't support their team because adults in another city can't fucking act like adults and behave. There are only two cities, and maybe this is why you think that. There are only two cities that you hear this type of ridiculous abuse. Boston and Philly. I've been to countless sporting events in the city of New York where people think New Yorkers are nasty. 
They almost never say a word. My son has been decked out in Red Sox gear at Yankee Stadium, and you might hear some joking around, but almost never hear anything negative or expletive or nasty. Philly and Boston stand alone in that regard. Well, and and that's fine, and that that might be true, but I still don't understand why you would put your son and yourself in that position knowing that's the case. I don't know what you're disagreeing with. I'm saying it's not smart if you go to Philadelphia or Boston to do that. When I was a rookie with the Washington Redskins, I was playing for the Redskins. My family kind of already knew, but I made it very clear to my mom and dad and sister and girlfriend, who's now my wife and father-in-law, don't wear Redskins gear. It's just not smart. It's just not. And I'm not saying, Dave, that's the way it should be. I'm not saying that's a cool thing about Eagles fans. I'm just saying if you go there knowing their reputation, knowing the way they are, and you still wear the opposing team's gear, whose fault is that? That's your fault. You know the situation and you're still subjecting yourself to it. That's on you at that point. So you agree, I hope, you agree at least in part, that in terms of treatment of of any opposing team or fans, that the Eagles are the worst in sports. Because would you say that about going to a game in New York or L.A. or San Francisco or Chicago? Uh, I don't know. I haven't been in the stands in those other places as much as I have Philadelphia. I would think Philadelphia is probably the worst. Now, I would also say I don't think you go to other stadiums and it's all like Green Bay where they're like, hey, how are you? Thanks for coming out. Oh, you're supporting the Chiefs. Oh, that's great. Like, I don't think every stadium's like that either. And by the way, I think that's wonderful. I think it's amazing that Packers fans and some of the other fans are like that. That is a wonderful trait, personality trait for those people. And I don't think it's a positive trait for Eagles fans that they are malicious towards fans of the other team. I don't think that that's a positive. I really don't. But it's the way they are. So I I would never – I tell anybody – that ever comes. I had a buddy that went to the game yesterday with a Seahawks fan. I said, he's not going to wear like Seahawks gear, is he? And he's like, no. Because I wouldn't even, like, even as, like, growing up an Eagles fan, Dave, I wouldn't want to go and be next to a guy who's a buddy of mine wearing Seahawks gear because I know what he would be subjected to. And I know people would look at me as the Eagles fan being like, Hey, buddy, what the hell are you doing bringing this guy? What are you doing, guy? You know what I mean? Like, I already know what that would be like. So I'll say this. If the argument is Eagles fans are the worst fans when it comes to treatment of opposing fans, I would say that's probably accurate. But I would also say if you ask guys like Brian Dawkins or Zach Ertz, or Jason Kelsey, or a lot of other people, they would tell you that Eagles fans are the best in the world, right? So they they are extremes, Dave. If they love you and you're on the positive end of it, 
I, there is nobody or nowhere where it's better to be. If they're against you, there's nowhere where it's worse. They are the extremists of fandom in the yeah. NFL. There's no question. They are the best and they are the worst in many regards, a lot like New England. And that's what makes them in part special sports cities. I do think it's below the belt to taunt an 11 year old kid. Grow up, Philadelphia. Give me a fucking break. What do you make so far of the voting? New England, no surprise to me. I thought they'd be a strong finisher, but we haven't made the other cases yet. Yeah, you know what? You're right. We haven't really made the other cases yet. I'm looking at it, and New England dynasty being done is 45%. Awful officiating is 27%. Garrett finally getting fired is 15%. Clowney's hit, and the Eagles game is 14%. And what's kind of crazy about it, really, if you think about it, is... I mean, I thought Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson, that Texans-Bills game was crazy drama. I thought the Saints and the Vikings, that was crazy drama. The overtime, both those overtimes. So, unfortunately, a Twitter poll only allows you to have four options, but we could have had a bunch of options on our Twitter feeds. Indeed, we could have. Continue voting, and we continue the conversation with Currently, the third place, which is Jason Garrett, finally getting fired. And it happened, interestingly enough, during the Philadelphia Eagles game. Jerry Jones, always aware of what interesting timing is like and how to continue that conversation, maybe needle your rival during their game as they're losing. So Jason Garrett is finally let go. It is official, although it was reported last week by Ed Warder of ESPN that they were moving on. The interesting part of this is he's let go officially on a Sunday night after the job interviews had already begun for his replacement, Marvin Lewis, former Bengals coach, and a former Super Bowl winner, Mike McCarthy, has been interviewed by the Dallas Cowboys. Michael Lombardi, who writes for The Athletic, just tweeted this morning, just talked to an agent involved who has clients in the coaching search. He feels Dallas has their man he said, who? Not sure, but they are done looking. That would imply that they would not be looking for a Lincoln Riley-like candidate. Might not even interview Josh McDaniels. That would certainly point to Mike McCarthy. No way Cowboys fans are going to live with Marvin Lewis hired after his miserable playoff record. Uh, Mike Fisher covers the Cowboys better than just about anybody in the game. 105-3 the fan in Dallas. Here's his reaction to that news. Michael Lombardi, real quick, Choppy, uh, just tweeted, just talked to an agent involved who has clients in the coaching search and he fail, feels Dallas has their man. I asked who. He said, not sure, but they are done looking. Props to Antoine, top tolo, for sending us that. Fish, does that lead towards the thought that Mike McCarthy could be the guy that this may be done? I think it leads to the idea that um, this, this, these reports that the Cowboys only want somebody with NFL head coaching experience, I think that's wrong. I think they've been doing research on this for months and months and months. So if they've got their guy, it doesn't have to be somebody that they interview. It can uh, officially. It can be somebody that they interview mm -hmm. unofficially. We, you know that 
talked to Sean Payton as of last year. I'm not suggesting that pipe dream's happening, but we know that happened in the offseason. We know it did. We know that they went and played footsie with Urban Meyer. That's a fact, no matter what the Joneses want to say about it. And then, and here's the thing about the agents. This is where Mike Lombardi is on to something. The rep, the Athletes First is the agency that represents, among others, Jason Garrett, Matt Rule, Lincoln Riley, Josh McDaniels, and Urban Meyer. And Mike McCarthy. That's 105 through the fan in Dallas. Mike Fisher, Cowboys insider, uh, with his reaction to the reporting from Michael Lombardi, writes for the athleticradio.com insider. Rasha reaction to all of it, including the timing by Jerry Jones making that announcement after two interviews during an Eagles game. Well, first of all, I think we should highlight what is clear dysfunction in my mind by the Cowboys interviewing guys like Mike McCarthy and Marvin Lewis before they announce in any way that they're not bringing Jason Garrett back. You know, Jason Garrett gets blamed for the Cowboys not getting over the hump over the last four years. Maybe there's some inherent dysfunction, and I know, Dave, that Troy Aikman talked about this, but maybe there's a reason why Jason Garrett, or reasons why Jason Garrett wasn't able to get them over the hump. I mean, that by definition is dysfunctional if you still have a head coach and yet you're interviewing other coaches and frankly disrespectful. And now with these reports that it sounds like the Cowboys have their guy and that it's Mike McCarthy and you combine that with them having the statement last night that they're moving on from Jason Garrett, hmm, it's almost like the Cowboys wanted to hold on to Jason Garrett, Dave, until they were sure they had somebody they liked better. And then they realized, yeah, we like this guy. He'd be good. Then they moved on from Jason Garrett. I don't know. Maybe that's smart business, or maybe that's really not treating Jason Garrett with a whole lot of respect. <laughs> that is brutal, man. I mean, imagine having your next girlfriend before you even dumped a girl. Now, that's probably happened a few times in Hollywood when you're running around shooting a film and cheating with some gal uh, that you're going to marry before you even get a divorce. Uh, think of Ben Affleck or some of the Hollywood stars who've pulled off such feats. But it is dysfunction in Dallas, and it is unfortunate. But maybe this was Jason Garrett. There were reports out there that he was just basically refusing to pack his office, refusing to let go. He was that desperate girl clinging to the, the faint prospect that this guy might someday love her and keep her around. No, Jason Garrett, you are not going to keep that job. Who do you think gets it? Do you think Mike McCarthy would make a good hire? Yeah, I, I, I do think it'll be Mike McCarthy. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good hire or not. You know, his success was in large part predicated on having a top five quarterback, Dave, his entire stretch. I mean, I, how many years is he in Green Bay? Uh, like 13 or something? They made one Super Bowl. And for the entirety of that time, he had a top five quarterback. Color me not impressed. I mean, and by the way, his offense sort of got stale towards the end there in Green Bay. And even Aaron Rodgers couldn't overcome that. And now, one year removed from McCarthy, the Packers, 
get a bye. They win 13 games. That's not a great look for McCarthy either, is it? I mean, they were terrible last year. Now they're 13 and three without him. I mean, there's there's a lot I think to not like about Mike McCarthy's candidacy right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot to worry about. And you're, you, the last we heard of the relationship between he and Aaron Rodgers was that was what made this a dysfunctional situation. Look, he does have a Super Bowl ring. And clearly Jerry wants some cachet, wants a name with a lot of NFL experience and who has gotten it done. But I don't know. I, I think a guy like Urban Meyer would have brought a lot of excitement a guy that's won at so many different stops along the way. Uh, very interesting to see where they go with that hire. Um, I thought maybe Lincoln Riley would get an interview. Who knows? Maybe they never wanted him. And maybe the performance in the college football playoff was just too much for them to stomach. The Dallas drama will continue and will continue to get reaction from 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Another best drama has to be the officiating across the league, but ground zero, of course, being in New Orleans. The Saints season ends at home with heartbreak yet again, and all the fans in New Orleans are pointing the fingers at the officials. Not clear they should entirely do that, but we will focus on the play that has angered all of Saints Nation. And of course, is the game-winning pass from Kirk Cousins to Kyle Rudolph, corner of the end zone. We'll talk a lot more about the Vikings, Cousins, Dalvin Cook later in the show. But as per the drama, Ross, when I watched the game live, I did not think right away it was pass interference. That's not how it works. The NFL has every opportunity to slow down and to review this and take another look, take several looks, and they just haven't done it this season. I have taken another look like you all have and decided, yes, this was clearly pass interference by Rudolph, a giant who gained leverage from P.J. Williams with the arm extension. Here's what Al Riveron says, Ross. Contact by both players but none of that contact rises to a level of a foul. This is consistent with what we've done all year. Yeah, Ross, it is consistent with what they've done all year. Was it the right call? No, it was not the right call. Uh, it was pass interference. Now, you know me, Dave. I will always err on the side of letting them play. And there was some hand fighting before the ultimate stiff arm and push-off by Kyle Rudolph, it still was pass interference. I'll also err on them not overturning what the call is on the field. So let's start with the call on the field. The, the, the ref that was right there should have called P.I., but I think he was behind Rudolph and maybe didn't see it as much, but that should have been called P.I. on the field. And I'm even a guy that likes to let them play, like I said. Then after that, I do think they should have reviewed it more thoroughly, like we've talked about last week with Seattle and San Francisco game. And I think they should have had the guts to say it was pass interference. Now, I know they don't want to overturn it unless it's egregious. I don't know that it was egregious, but it was pass interference, and it's disappointing. 
It is disappointing. It's certainly consistent, but it's not necessarily right to be consistently wrong if you are if you are ever on. They have got a massive problem on their hands in the offseason, and everyone in New Orleans has every right to be angry this morning, but they should also spread the blame around, and we'll get into that with the Cajun Cannon, Bobby Bear, former Saints quarterback, host of the pregame and the postgame on WWL. Bobby, thanks so much for joining us. It's Dave Briggs, former offensive lineman Ross Tucker. How are you doing this morning, and how angry are Saints fans? Well, uh, I'm angry, shocked, because uh, I think, I don't know, if the Saints had played the Vikings in a series, I think you'd beat them in a series. But it's, that's why we love the NFL. It's one game. You win or you go home. And I, I think majority of fans even – take the approach because it wasn't egregious that uh, let's say you flip the script and that was Michael Thomas or Saints receiver doing the same thing on, on the opposite end. Uh, and uh, the official doesn't call a push off or offensive pass interference on the field. I, I think you live with it. I think the Saints are so aggressive offensively at times uh, that that's the approach on take uh, Peyton takes. And, and, and I think now, some fans will say, how can you miss that call? It wasn't like last year, the nine call to go to the Super Bowl. But I, I'm almost going that route, um, that I wouldn't expect them to call that uh, against the Saints. So it, it's not it's not nowhere near uh, like last year. It is shocking that you look the last three seasons. Uh, it's basically a, a walk-off. I mean, it's, so, it's such a numb feeling. I mean, look at the Minneapolis miracle. How in the hell we lost that game? And then you look, how can you miss that call to go to the Super Bowl? It's not a regular game. And this to move on in the playoffs. Uh, the Saints didn't play to their ability. Come on, the Saints are a touchdown better, I'd say, seven, eight points better than the Vikings. And the one thing um, they did and they couldn't afford to do was um, be minus one. You know, the Saints had an NFL record, the least amount of giveaways uh, with only eight. And they had two yesterday. And then there being uh, minus one in the turnover uh, uh, margin. They got whooped in the trenches, um, and I didn't think that would ever happen. We got, if not the best, in the conversation, duo tackles and Ryan Ramchek and Teron Armstead. Well, Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin, uh, they whooped them. They whooped them, and they got after uh, Drew Brees. And I never thought I would say this, but Kirk Cousins outplayed uh Drew Brees. So there's a lot of things that happen to just blame that on the Saints not winning and uh, being in overtime. I mean, it was somewhat shocking. It could have been 13-13 at half when Lutz missed the field goal, but it's 13-10, and he's been very accurate. But the Saints could have been losing by 10 points at half. Now, they didn't make adjustments uh, when you think about, and um, looking at the Vikings running game, they were getting gashed in that uh, in that first half. And then they shut him down the second half. So it was kind of a weird game where you never were comfortable with the Saints, even though playing in the Superdome, that it didn't seem like that they were the home team. Bobby, uh, I love everything that you just said and happy to hear you describe it that way because that's what jumped out to me. They probably should have called P.I. on Kyle Rudolph. But if you're the Saints, Bobby – you can't let the Vikings come into the Superdome and kick your ass up front on both sides of the ball. I mean, they got their asses kicked, and frankly, if it weren't for Taysom Hill and some of his heroics, 
the game might not have even been close. I thought that they deserved to lose, and that's a lot bigger deal and more surprising to me than any one play. They deserved to lose. I mean, the Vikings were the better team. They were the better team, and always, you know, as a fan, you tend uh, to watch the football. Uh, you look at the skilled players, and you don't really break down who's winning and losing in the trenches. No, and I, I'm telling you that that was embarrassing because the Saints won a roll at the last month of the season. You look at that shootout with the 49ers. Their offense uh, was rolling. You scored 46 points. They lost that game, 48-46. That's ridiculous. But they were winning in the trenches. They were winning in all phases. The other MVP is Deontay Harris, uh, the all-pro returner out of Assumption College. I mean, that's unbelievable. And, and, and the hidden yardage, you know, uh, Sean Payton always looks at that. Uh, we, we dominate the Vikings in that area, and so you should be able to win when you, those, when you have those hidden yardage uh, with Deontay Harris, what he did as a kick and a punt returner. And, um, no, you can't sugarcoat it. They got whooped up front. Uh, There's nobody that won their, their battles on the line of scrimmage. And um, the Vikings in the trenches. I mean, I, I give them all the credit in the world. And after watching them on that, uh, what I think it was primetime game against the Packers, the offensive line uh, was terrible uh, for the Vikings trying to block that Packers uh, pass rush. But uh, Dalvin Cook didn't play that game. Dalvin Cook was a beast in that first half. And they ended up getting 130-some yards rushing. They had like 100 basically at, at halftime. And then when I looked what we did the second half, but another great player, all-pro player who didn't show up. I mean, I think we called his name maybe once, Cam Jordan, uh, affecting uh, Kirk Cousins. I got to give Kirk Cousins a lot of credit because he's taking a lot of heat. And he stood in there and made a couple of throws as, as good as it gets and was clutch to them without a doubt. Bobby, uh, as a former quarterback, I got to get your thoughts on the clowny hit on Carson Wentz. I know you're doing the post-game show down there for the Radio.com affiliate WWL, but I'm sure you've seen the hit by now. Did you think it was a dirty hit or a cheap shot by Clowney? Uh, I know you played kind of in a different era. where You probably, right. you probably got shots like that all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, that, that was just a football tackle. I mean, I don't know. You know, so I don't know the speed of the game at, at times. Uh, unless it's out in the open, um, uh, that to me is difficult to call a time with officials, especially if it's all closer together and, and when you slow it down or you duck in your head and helmet to helmet, are you truly launching yourself? So to me, that, that that's a difficult call. I don't think that um, Clowney is trying to um, knock out Wentz. I think he's trying to hit him, but I don't think he's trying to um, you know hurt him and and uh, take them out of the game. I think that just uh, happened, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm old school football. T- football To me, that's not dirty, but I'm, I don't know. This day and age, you know, we got to protect the players uh, going forward. So uh, I guess that's how I would break that down. I, uh, the, 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 the hit, you'll probably, because we all watch football. Now, to me, what's rid- ridiculous is uh, what happened Oklahoma and LSU and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is coming across the middle. And, uh, and the Oklahoma linebacker launches himself, <laughs> spirit him in the helmet. Now, now that's dirty. Now, now that, to me, is a dirty hit. But a lot of these helmet to helmet, uh, when people say it's dirty, I think it's just the speed of the game, and uh, I don't think that's the in, in, intent. Agreed there. Bobby Hebert, former Saints quarterback, host of WWL Radio in New Orleans. Much appreciate the time, sir. 
Best of luck. We'll talk to you later in the offseason. One more nominee in the best drama category this morning. That is the Buffalo Bills continued playoff heartbreak. Their last playoff win came in 1995. They've now lost six straight, but this one felt different. They had a 16-0 lead midway through the third quarter. Let's fire up our Radio.com Red Zone and listen to the devastation in Buffalo as they try to process what felt like a certain win over the Houston Texans. Who couldn't take the big stage is my question. Was it the players? Or was it the coaches? Their inability to close. It was their inability to stop Deshaun Watson in the second half. Um, it was them moving away from Devin Singletary when he was absolutely one of the reasons this team was in the lead in the first place. Um, it was throwing the football 46 times with Josh Allen. It was the pitch with a minute left behind. I, 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 I don't know what happened. I guess sometimes you can understand why they do handle him the way they do. Because you still get these moments like that, you know, the lateral play, these sacks that he took were an example of that, where you want to be able to trust your guy, but man, you just don't want to make any of those three plays. Patrick DeMarco being in the ball game late, running vertical routes, <laughs> vertical routes for a fullback. I can't believe it. I mean, I've been watching football for years, and I truly believe the coaching lost this game. You know, fourth and 23. I just don't understand the mindset of going for that. And then the then the game plan in overtime, I, I couldn't understand that either. They just spread them out. They never ran the ball. They didn't, you know, they couldn't run the ball to set up any play action. They did nothing. I mean, I just felt like they all lost their minds there at the end there. I think this game, to me, was just a microcosm of what the season, though, was as a whole. And the questions that I still have about this team and that I have had all year about this team is, Flat out, can they score enough points for when their defense can't carry them that they can win a football game? They never, ever proved that. That's the reaction on 550 WGR in Buffalo. Continued postseason heartbreak again, 1995, their last playoff win. They had this one in their grasp. Tell me I'm wrong, Ross, but I just don't believe Josh Allen's ever going to be the guy, and I've said this all year, that gets them a ring. I easily can root for this guy. He was a joy to watch, 92 yards rushing, through for 264, but he completed 52% of his passes. What, is, what he's done all year against playoff teams, he's now 1-5. Is he the guy that can get them over the hump and get them a playoff win? He absolutely can get him a playoff win. You just kind of lowered the bar there in that conversation because you started with getting him a ring. I don't think he's going to be able to get him a ring, but that's also a very high standard. Not very many guys do get rings. I do think he can get him a playoff win, maybe even a playoff win or two. I do think it's a fair question, though, Dave, when you watch him. It's only his second year. And I do think he'll learn and improve in some areas like some of the sacks he takes and maybe the ball security, the one fumble, nobody even really hit him. Merciless was coming and he just lost it. But the thing I wonder, Dave, and I don't know the answer to this, is if that pitch, when he was going down late in the game and he tried to pitch it behind him to whoever that was, is that something that he can learn from, or is that just like a fundamental flaw 
in his processing decision making that they're never going to get rid of because that was so horrendous, Dave, and unnecessary that you sit there and you think, what is in what is going on in that young man's head that he would do that? Can you imagine, Dave, if that's how they lost the game? If the ball hadn't gone out of bounds and if somehow the Texans had recovered that and that's how they lost? Oh, my God. That's all we would be talking about. That's right. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I, I did lower the bar, you're right, because I do believe there are two separate questions. And maybe Buffalo's content with a quarterback who could get them one playoff win and maybe at best two. To me, I think the ultimate standard by which you have to judge a quarterback is, is he a guy that can get you a ring? And I just do not think Josh Allen's that guy. You've got a great coach in place, great defense, some intriguing weapons, but the conversation will continue in Buffalo. And that's our best drama category is all wrapped up on the poll at RDC Home and Home, the Patriots are a clear leader. Awful officiating coming on strong. Do you hand that award to the Patriots? No questions asked. It is the Patriots. Uh, there is no doubt because of the fact that they're the Patriots. And this is the first time we didn't have one time last decade where they didn't make the conference championship game. I mean, think about that. And now we're starting a new decade, and they don't make the conference championship game. They don't even make the divisional round, and it might be the end of Brady. I mean, it's the Patriots. It is. They've been the biggest story in the NFL for the last 20 years. They're certainly the biggest story in the NFL and the biggest drama the day after their season ends. Indeed, they are. The Patriots are the winner Congratulations, New England. You have taken home the first ever Home and Home Best Drama Award. Hey, everybody. It's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.